Now we'll have our sermon by Art Williams entitled Growing into the Generation That Will Not Pass Away. As paranoid coming up here, I got this new computer about a week ago. It's all ready when I pressed the go button, it didn't go, so. <laughs> we'll see how this works out. Growing into the generation that will not pass away. This Christian experience that we're currently living has a purpose and it has an end game. And that end game is to be changed into a spirit being and receive the inheritance of all that God has created. And we be, will be co-heirs with Jesus. There are in the pages of the Bible instructions given to acquaint us with the requirements and to teach us how to successfully navigate in this life. So at the conclusion of this life, he says to us, well done, good and faithful servants. But for now, we are heir apparent, not having received the inheritance, but we have hope, desire, and longing for the day when we will receive that inheritance. He has given us the instructions in the pages of the Bible and his Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, so we can be successful. The result of following the instructions is that we enter into a process whereby we become to some degree like God the Father and our Lord Jesus in attitudes, in actions, in behaviors, in decisions, in values, in character. We develop the mind of Christ and the heart of God as David was a man after God's own heart and apprehended some level of the love that God has for his creation. The plan that God has put in place takes into consideration the deception of Satan, those whose minds have been altered by deceit, of the dark side, man's unwillingness or inability to believe, perhaps choked out by the cares of this world. It takes into consideration man's own self-destructive behavior. We'll look into a, a few examples of that. And it takes into consideration the utilization of his people for his purpose, his will, his way, in his timing. In this message, we're going to go through signs of immaturity, a little bit of learning from our apprenticeship, the risk of man shooting himself in the foot, and the generation that will not pass away. The process is a process of growth, of coming to maturity from immaturity in unbelief. The process is one of increasing faith, hope, and love, and learning how to stand firm in the face of trials, tests, scoffers, 
and enduring sometimes that which might seem unendurable. I want to go now into the signs of immaturity. But before we get there, I want to look at some aspects of our development as a human being. This aspect, some of you have heard of, some of you have known, it was written many years ago by the name, by a, a guy by the name of Maslow, and he referenced it in his book. And it's called The Hierar Hierarchy of Needs and Human Motivation. Now I want to give you a caution here, especially to your young people. If you're in your teens and just growing up and developing, you can't think your way to the top on this. This is a process. It's a process of growth, of learning, of understanding, and of development. We're going to go through them one at a time as if it's a step, one developing upon the other and building. In the reality of life, it is not necessarily that way. In the reality of life, all of these steps may be interrelated and we may be in certain degrees at certain levels at any given time on all of them. But we're gonna start with the lowest level which is survival needs or physiological needs. Water, food, shelter, air. And when we're babies, we rely on our parents for all of those things. But as we grow up, mature, we undertake those responsibilities for ourselves. The next level up that we build that up on, once we have our food and water and shelter and air needs met, are our safety needs. Physical safety, emotional safety, financial safety, and health. Once we have achieved those, we move to the next level, which are the love needs, the need for intimacy, for having someone special in our lives, the need to belong, the need to have friends, the need to have family. And once we have achieved that level, we go to the next level, which is the esteem level. The esteem level involves the ego, the need for status, the need for recognition, the need for acceptance, the need for self-respect. And once we have achieved that level, we get to the peak level, the high level which Maslow described as self-actualization. And he really kind of hit the nail on the head spiritually here. He says, giving the self to others and having higher outside goals. And here's the real part where he hits the nail on the head. Behaving and relating not as a means to an end, but rather the end. The supreme top of everything is behaving and relating with others. Not in a manipulative sense, like politicians do, because you have 
a need to persuade this person to do something for you. But because it's the right thing to do, and that in itself goes to our scriptural instructions. I just hit the wrong thing here. I page all the way down to where I don't want to go. Let's look at a little bit of, I'm going to say the self-centeredness that comes into play with each of those steps that we just went through. On the first level, food and water. And let me throw in this caveat. We just looked through, a, we went through a normal behavior that is applicable to our society but there's also unmotivated behavior and there's also an evil behavior and that's not being addressed in what I just went through with those steps. It's a normal, healthy uh, person, if you will. But even with that, if we, if we took that same chart, we could dial in scriptures and show where we're, we're cautioned about pride and lust and how that comes into play with ego and status and fulfillment and even getting food and water. Signs of immaturity is that you're a slave to yourself. It's almost contradictory to the first one. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a child, you're a, a baby, you're a slave to yourself. When you want food and water and your diaper changed, you start crying and making a tantrum. Well, that's, that's okay. But when you're 30 years old, you shouldn't be doing that to get food and water and have your diaper changed. Um, when we're immature, we seek comfort and we seek ease. Not that those things are necessarily wrong, but it's the attitude that's behind it, where it becomes a priority, where it becomes where we manipulate and use others. Another point is we value others for what they can do for us, manipulating others to get what we want. I know a whole church organization that ran on that modus operandi and firsthand experienced it. Politicians do it all the time. People do it. We demand our own way. Even if it causes chaos and stress upon others. You know, one of the things that God hates is those that causes those that cause discord among the brethren. Demanding our own way. God's in charge. He'll work it all out. Maybe it's not what he wants done at this time. Another point of immaturity is choosing only things that benefit yourself. Another point is we focus on obtaining how this may benefit me. And those are the choices that we make. Choices whereby we believe that we can achieve gain. Whatever that gain is. And summing up everything that we just went through, it's self-centeredness. It's self-consuming. The very opposite of the last point of the pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy, which is behaving and relating as an end in itself in the way God the Father and Jesus Christ want us to relate.
we all assume that we're mature, don't we? Nobody, you know, you, if you want to rile somebody up, tell them you're, you're immature. When you're gonna grow up, you know, raises the fur in the back of your neck. Not for me so much, I don't have much back there. <laughs> but we don't see ourselves accurately. We don't see ourselves through the eyes of others, and we certainly don't see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus or our Father. Part of the wisdom in growing into maturity is to see ourselves accurately, to judge yourself accurately and positively, not condemning, judging ourselves the way Jesus would and God the Father would, and lead us into correction, accurately and correcting, correctively so we can all grow together in his wisdom and his knowledge. We are heirs with our Lord Jesus to inherit all of creation. And in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, it says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. crying, Abba, Father, wherefore you are no more a servant but a son, and if a son, an heir of God through Christ. And in continuing in Romans 8, 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also, glor be also glorified together. And as we go through life, we may be aware at some time where we shoot ourselves in the foot. Then again, we may be totally oblivious to the fact. I've been, I have a disc at home, a DVD, from the History Channel. And it's about ancients behaving badly. And it goes through many of the prominent names in history. Attila the Hun, Hannibal, Tiberius, Caligula. You name the Roman Empire emperors, they were just very vile and I suppose we could say evil. And the one I want to focus in on probably had the shortest reign of all of them. and may have been the vilest of all of them too. They all were pretty bad though. Caligula, I have trouble with his name, so I'm just going to call him the Calig from now on, that ULA I have troubles with. Calig, Roman emperor for four years, and he was assassinated in the end by his own guard. He was leaving an entertainment spot over at the Colosseum, and there was an underground tunnel that went back to his palace. He was going down that tunnel, and two of his guards came out and killed him. One of them, because Caligula himself was always maligning the guard, calling him essentially effeminate because he talked funny and had a high voice. And the other one was involved because he raped his wife. And he did a lot of that. Senators' wives, all kinds of women. He was vile, evil, and ruthless. But his actions may not have been under the influence of the power of the dark side. May not have even been a character flaw and may not even been because of the value set that he chose. 
Because when they started to go into investigating, investigating possible causes and why he was so, uh, such a terrible person, they went through, through a series of possibilities. And in the end, they narrowed it down to one. And it sounds pretty innocuous, but wine. Now, the Roman aristocracy drank a lot of wine. And one historian said of Caligula that after becoming emperor, he drank excessive amounts of wine, even by Roman standards. That in itself doesn't sound too bad. We think you used to get drunk and fall over and pass out. But no, 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 there's more to it. So the investigators took the recipe by which the Romans made wine. And they decided they would make a batch of the wine using the Roman recipe, and especially the sweetening agents that they used, and the Roman utensils and pots and pans. And after completing the batch of wine, they put it into the testing standards like we would use for the wine today, where you can measure the levels of the pathogens and contaminants. Today's standard for wine is 200 parts per billion for lead. The Roman measured, the Roman wine measured 29,400 parts per billion for lead. They started drinking wine when they were 13 years old. So when Caligula took rule at age 20, he already had seven years of consuming 29,400 parts per billion of lead. And he ruled for four years, continuing in the same pattern. We really don't know the result on a human being consuming that much. We do have some idea of what lead poisoning does, but not at that magnitude. But that could very well explain his insane behavior and reactions. They liked the taste of their wine because the lead, which was gotten from the pots that they processed it in, gave it what we call know today as a chocolate flavor to it. And so that probably enticed them to drink even more wine. There's another man who unknowingly somehow shot himself in the foot, or maybe it was his, just his genetics. Some of you may remember the name Charles Whitman. 1966, he went to the clock tower on the campus of the University of Texas at Austin with a rifle and began killing people. He was former military and could shoot very accurately. In his personal journal, he complained of severe headaches that he described as tremendous and a violent and unusual and irrational thoughts. And in his diary, actually it wasn't his diary, it was in the note that he left behind. He said that after his death that they needed to examine him for what was wrong with him because he was convinced that something was wrong and they would find, quote, a visible physical disorder. And they did and they did. They did a post-mortem autopsy and on his brain, they found a malignant brain tumor pressing on that part of the brain that we now know today stimulates aggression and violent behavior. 
and the, 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 the one person doing the, anal, the analysis said that he did not think that Charles Whitman could have possibly controlled these emotions and these feelings. There's a threat to us today, folks. The threat to us today that goes unrecognized, perhaps by some, and by many of us, it is already recognized, and that's food additives, artificial sweeteners, and coloring agents in the food. If Brian, would you put up that website if you could? I'm gonna reference you to a website uh, where you can get further information on it. Um, I don't know in many cases that we can do too much about it. Some of us, we, we might live in assisted living facilities. We don't have much say about the food and the quality of the food that we get. Can't do much about it. Or we may live out in a rural area where I do. And for us to get access to organic and pure foods and stuff, we've got to drive about 50 miles. But just briefly, I'm just going to touch on a couple of these. Uh, one of the worst offenders, sodium nitrate, is in processed meats, used to stop bacterial growth. It's linked to cancer in humans. It's the worst offender. Butane, put in chicken nuggets to keep them from, keep them uh, to tasting fresh. It's a known carcinogenic. Of course, everybody here probably has heard an endless amount about MSG, monosodium glutamate, which is also known by 50 different names today so that they can sneak it in on you and you don't even realize it's what's what it is. Enriched flour, used in many snack foods, made from a to with certain toxi toxic ingredients. I mean, it's just, I can just go on and on and on with this. There's one here I'll mention that is particularly bad. Olestra, it's also known by the name Olene. It's, a, it's used in fat-like, it's a fat-like substitute and it's used in fat-free foods. It's used in place of natural fats because your body won't absorb it. But what it does is it also blocks your body from absorbing fat-soluble vitamins. Vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K. They're all very important for your nutrition. I'm not going to touch too much on the artificial sweeteners. Um, go down to dyes, food colorings, red number 40. It's banned in many of the European countries. Oh, that last one, Olestra. It's banned in Europe. It's banned in Australia, Canada. It's even banned in, get this, China. You know, if China's going to ban something, it's probably pretty bad. Anyway, red number 40 found in many foods. It's derived from petroleum. It's a carcinogenic linked to cancer and hyperactivity in children. And it's banned in some European countries. And many of these uh, are associated with hyperactivity in children and asthma, uh, causing liver and kidney problems. So 
we may not even know how bad the food is that we eat and consume and may have very little control over it. But if you're in a position where you can try to do something that, that along that way, it'll help you as you age. As you age, if you have a sedentary lifestyle, your cells will die off at a rate of 7% annually. If you're active, your cells die off at a 2% accurate, accurate uh, rate. Up to age 40, the cells are replaced. After age 40, this loss of cells is not totally replaced. And that goes through our aging process. But through all of this, we may not even know when he, when he heals us, when we're in a hospital and he heals us. We may not even know how he has healed us and maybe what he has protected us from so that we don't get the same condition coming back. Human behavior and quality of life can be modified by what we eat, drink, and the environment that we live in. But the good news for mankind is this. When it's time for the general elect, general election, I was going to say, <laughs> general resurrection, general resurrection, Satan is already disposed to the lake of fire. He's no longer around to influence, tempt, motivate, seduce, deceive. Satan will have no active demonstrative influence upon the people in the general re resurrection. When Caligula comes up in the general resurrection, he will not still have lead poisoning. He will be healed. When Charles Whitman comes up in the general resurrection, he will not have a malignant brain tumor. He will be healed. And whether we die with mental retardation, Alzheimer's, diabetes, or whatever the deficiency is, they will be healed from those conditions when they come up in the resurrection, in the general resurrection. There will be no satanic influence. And I believe it goes further than that. I believe personally, and the other others may have a different opinion, but I believe personally there will be no trashy residue from a satanic influence residing in people's brains, minds, memories, character, or values. The Satan's influence will be espunged from the people and from the society of the general resurrection. Satan will be gone. His residue and residing influence will be gone. And it'll be a great time, I'm sure, when those people come up in that resurrection. I'm sure there's people that we would like to see and there will be rejoicing with laughter and rejoicing with tears. Today, we may have plagues and pestilence among us that we don't even realize that are there. Let's read and take a look at Matthew 24, 37 through 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. They knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And he goes on, let's continue on rather, in Matthew 24, 7. 
For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. It's really interesting that they are marrying and giving in marriage with all of these things happening. They overlook the earthquakes. They overlook the famines. They overlook the pestilence. But the question I have is the pest, one of the pestilences, some of them already here. Do you know that 25% of the children in the United States of America are pre-diabetic? In 1999, in a medical uh, journal, in an eye doctor's office, they had an article that said babies were being born for the first time diabetic and at levels that they could classify as an epidemic. That was in 1999. But you don't hear anything about that, do we? We don't hear anything about 25% of the children being pre-diabetic, which means when they become an adult at some point in their life, they will be diabetic. 20% of the children are ADHD. They're coming your food coloring agents, and the anxiety, t attention deficits. So do they miss them? Because God's ways are not like our ways. God sees what's going on. But our ways is, here, take a pill for your diabetes. Here, take a pill for your ADHD. But they don't miss all of the plagues. For back in Jeremiah 30, verse 14, speaking of the time of Jacob's trouble, it's interesting because it says, all your lovers have forgotten you. They seek, speaking of Jacob, all of Jacob, Jacob's lovers have forgotten her. They seek you not. Why? Because I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins were increased. And I went through some of this in another message recently, so some of you may uh, find this to be a repeat of some of that. But it's good to hear it a second time. And continuing back in Revelation 6, 7, and 8, we look at some of the more devastating things that are going to happen to the earth. But this is interesting, too. I'll mention why here in a minute, see if you pick up on it. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, and with death. Kill with death. How do you kill with death? It seems a little redundant. Or is that put in there for the sake of accenting and stressing the magnitude of it? Continuing. And with the beasts of the earth. Beasts of the earth. They do, beasts do not have to be animals. They can be men. And it's probably appropriate to say Caligula could have been called a beast. But is this fourth part of the earth the part of the earth that Jacob resides on. And is it determined by population 
or land area. A couple of things for you to think about. Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 24, 32 through 34. He speaks of a generation that shall not pass away. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise you, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all of these things be fulfilled. Some people believe that there is buried in there a subtle prophecy relating back to the fig tree because in the Old Testament, Israel is referred to as a fig tree or as a basket of figs. We're going to take a look at that numerically and statistically. <clears throat> Because Israel, the nation over there in the Mideast, was established as a nation in 1947 or 48, depending which one you want to use. I like 48. And so we can turn some mathematical statistics on that. Assuming that the generation was born in 1948, and we look at actuarial tables, that is, life expectancy tables, we can find out that, generate, that people would live 78 to 85 years, somewhere in there, depending on whose information you decide to use. And whether you're male or female, I decided to use 80 years as an average because it's a nice, round, easy number to deal with. And so if you add 80 years onto 1948, you come up with 2028. And that and since Jesus ends his description with the gathering of the saints and not at the Battle of Armageddon, if we subtract six years from that, we would get a starting year of 2022. Now, when you use a statistical average, if the distribution is a normal distribution, that means you, have an e you are in the center of the distribution. You've got 50% of the distribution on this side, 50% here. What that means to us here is 50% of the generation is dead. 80 years after 1948, or in 2028. 50% of the 1948 generation is deceased. So when Jesus says, The generation will not pass away. Where are we at to the 50%? Perhaps it's more of the that generation needs to pass away. So let's look at 85 years instead of 80 years. If we go to age 85, then 73% of the 1948 generation is deceased. It means the, there is a higher probability of his return. And if we add the five years onto our original year of 2022, then we look at 2027. <laughs> These are fun numbers to play with, and I don't mean to come across that I'm setting dates, because realize it's something else here that we'll address next. <clears throat> because there's another way to look at this. 
Jesus mentioned, many will come in my name. And that, that was the very first point that he made after saying this generation will not pass away until all of these things be fulfilled. Well, the first thing that he, he identified as being fulfilled with many will come in my name. Has that happened? After World War II, there was a great evangelistic effort that, that took place as a result of the television becoming available in private homes. Some of the, some of the names, the Bakers, Copeland, Coughlin, Doherty, Falwell, Graham, Hagee, Murray, Robertson, Schuler, Summerall, Swaggart, Swindoll. Oh, and then there was the Armstrongs. In 1957, Oral Roberts' evangelism covered 80% of the United States of America. And that's only Oral Roberts. That's not even addressing what the rest of these gentlemen were able to do. It wasn't until 1980s that that evangelistic effort began to tail off. I don't know exactly where it peaked out, but he says, when you see. So that's that would be the earliest possibility of seeing it, would be about 1957. So if we use that as a start year and we add 80 years to that, we come up with 2037. Less than six years, it results in 2031. But if we think that 50% decrease <coughs> in the 1957 generation isn't good enough, we want to go to 85 and get 73% of, of that generation being deceased then we would come out with the year of 2036. Not setting dates, but certainly I'm saying it could be closer than perhaps that we think. And it really depends on whether or not many have come in my name and deceived many, if that has been fulfilled or not. At this, as the time of his return draws closer, with each passing year, be sure to keep getting ready. Establish your priorities, as Mr. Gary Pettit admonished us with prayer, one of the key ones. Not only on your knees, but being instant in prayer in whatever you're doing during the day, whether you're at work or whether you're at play. Continuing with your preparation and your commitment and your watchfulness. He searches the hearts and the minds and he gives reward accordingly. In Psalm 26, 2, the psalmist writes, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. In Psalm 139, 23, he writes, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. When you leave here and you go home, continue your dedication to grow toward perfection and be ready, willing, and able to be part of the generation that will not pass away. <laughs>